Welcome to Reading for Attention, the weekly podcast where me, Paul, and me bezzy mate Sarah chat about a recent book whilst drinking a carefully selected beverage. Now, why have we committed to reading a book every single week and talking about it in a public forum? Well, the same reason me and Sarah do anything in life, for attention. How's your lurgy? Well, I thought it it had gone. I think I've, what's happened is it's just become a part of my, who I am now because I was voice noting Holly the other day and she voice noted me back like, oh, are you all right? And I was like, what? I'm fine. And then I listened to my voice note and I was like, hello. <laughs> God, I listened when I was editing that episode. My God. it was. I was going to try and make a little sneeze compilation yeah. and just play it at the beginning. And my mum listened to it. She was like, geez, it's just a lot of you two sneezing and coughing and sniffing and stuff. And I was like, that was the edited that we, we really edited out a yeah. lot of that. Anyway, how is your how's your lurgy? Fine, I think mine's gone. I mean, I'm no hungover. Yeah, me no too. more Qatar, no more Qatar. And yeah, just hungover, which is normal. So all good. That's our our resting state, isn't it? It is. <laughs> This if morning. ever there's a day where I'm not hungover, I, I think I'll be I'll be like, this is the best I've ever felt in my life. I won't know what's I think I'll probably think I'm on the edge of death, you know, like how you enter like a state of extreme euphoria. Yeah. Apparently. Yeah. Apparently, yeah, I wouldn't know. But I'm worried <laughs> that once I get into the habit of not being hungover, it'll feel so good that I'll want to keep doing it. And I'm just not ready for that. I'm only 30. <laughs> I said to someone the other day, between the ages of 35 and 37, I'm going to think about cutting back on the alcohol. Yeah. Well, you're lucky because you can just get pregnant. I can't think of anything worse, though. That's it's. I mean, it is self-imposed, but it feels like you've been stripped of a choice. I think I'd be having a couple of sneakies on the side, you know, and I think people probably do. Well, apparently it's an entirely, um, not cultural thing. There's obviously some like entirely medical. cultural <laughs> but who was I talking to oh one of the women that I work with when she was pregnant her friend who lives in France was pregnant and she'd gone over to like visit her and just be pregnant together and the pregnant woman was eating soft cheese and drinking wine and and it was totally fine and both of their kids are well, I don't know I, I didn't ask her actually after the health of the French child but <laughs> yeah I definitely think it's different in different countries uh, I think is it isn't it a bit extreme now the stuff that you're not allowed to do Serena Williams won the Australian Open when she was pregnant so I think you can have a bit of cheese yeah exactly exactly and if you're having cheese you may as well wash it down with a bit of wine uh, what else are you going to wash it down with uh, other than vodka so something <laughs> extraordinarily exciting happened to us again can't believe it. I was drunk when I got the messages. <laughs> uh, I, I was at I Michael's mum's well. house. I mean, it was Friday night, so they were asking. Oh, no, I think it was Thursday night. <laughs> <laughs> was it? No, because I'm sure I was drunk as well. I think it no, was Thursday night. Anyway, the fans are coming in thick and fast news. We've got a new one who's from Chicago, Illinois. We've broke America. Officially broke America. When we said international fans all the other times, they weren't really. Although that one in the Netherlands, but they were from yeah. Leeds. They are from Leeds. We haven't forgotten about you, fan. So, but now we've we've truly got a Yank fan. Is that not offensive? Is it? Is it a slur? 
it in the just I put it in the description of the last podcast, so I hope not. Oh, did you? Is yank an insult? Yes, it's derogatory, pejorative, playful, or colloquial term for Americans in Britain. Americans That's are not it. in America. I hope they're taking it as a playful and colloquial. Yeah. Uh, well, anyway, we've got an American fan from Chicago, Illinois, who messaged us on Instagram with a recommendation, which I'm very excited about because I think I have heard of that book before, but it slipped my we mind. You've recommended it before as well. I have. Worked. So there you go, double rec. But our Instagram messaging, it was thoroughly, thoroughly exciting. She said that she doesn't understand half of what we say. But I think that that's a good indicator of a good podcast. If she only understands half of it and she's still listening. Exactly. You know, so. I only understand half of it, of half what we're chatting about, so. Oh, me too. And what we can do is when we've got a sufficient number of international fans, we can do a bit of a lesson on Geordie and Lancashire slang. Yeah. And then we can do an international stadium tour. Oh, yeah. Well, I thought we might even do that first. I've been looking up, let's actually just look at Chicago stadiums now and I might give yeah. them a quick ring. Chicago Arena. I want to say the ball ring, but that's Birmingham. <laughs> no, but we're, we're going further than Birmingham, babe. So the United <laughs> Centre is, I yeah. think, where we should do with the launch to the launch of the tour. Let's mm. see how many. Uh, but its capacity is only 23,500. No, we're 50k over, I'm afraid. Mm-hmm. That's what, what I was thinking. We'll see what our options are. List of state Wembley. We could do Wembley. What in Chicago? No, in Wembley. <laughs> Ninety thousand. Or oh my god, the biggest stadium in the world. Where do you think that that would be? Two hundred and twenty thousand capacity. Somewhere like desert, like like barren, because there's nothing else there. Nah, fucking Prague. No fucking way. It's yeah. tight. Prague's tiny. Well, m- m- most of it must be made up by this stadium. Yeah, oh, that's wait. true. Is it being abandoned? The Whoa. Great Strahoff Stadium, the largest modern stadium and second largest sports venue ever built. It does sound massive. Is this good content? I don't know, but I'm loving it. All <laughs> uh, right, let's jump straight in then. What are yeah. we reading and what are we drinking, Sazzy Wazzy? This week, Paul Webb. We are reading Manifesto on Never Giving Up from the best-selling and Booker Prize-winning author of Girl, Woman, Other, Bernadine Evaristo's memoir of her own life and writing and her manifesto on unstoppability, creativity and activism. Everisto's 2019 Booker Prize win was a historic and revolutionary occasion with Everisto being the first black woman and first black British person ever to win the prize in its 50 year history. Girl, Woman, Other was named a favourite book of the year by President Obama and Roxane Gay and was translated into 35 languages and has now reached more than a million readers. This memoir is her first astonishing nonfiction book it's a vibrant and inspirational account of Everisto's life and career as she rebelled against the mainstream and fought over several decades to bring her creative work into the world both unconventional memoir and inspirational text manifesto is a unique reminder to us all to persist in doing work we believe in even when we might feel overlooked or discounted Everisto shows us how we too can follow in her footsteps from first vision to insistent perseverance to eventual triumph and to wash it down with we've got a classic skinny bitch which is obviously 
vodka, lime, soda. Although I was telling you the other day that I was serving someone at a bar oh, yeah. the other night and she was this fabulous woman, probably in like her mid-50s. She said, can I please have a vodka with just a dash of lime cordial? And I was like, pardon? She said, yep, just a vodka with a dash of lime cordial. I said, would you like absolute vodka or Belvedere? She went, oh, Belvedere. And then I said, single double. And she went, double, obviously. Lots of ice and just a splash of lime cordial. I like to taste my vodka. And I, and I said to her, I was like, this is the most powerful thing any, I've ever witnessed happen. She's like, you're never going to forget this now, are you? And I was like, no, I'm fucking not. And so far, that was three days ago. I've not forgotten. Have you stopped thinking about it? Uh, yeah, I have, I have. I have stopped thinking about it until right now. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's what we're reading. That's what we're drinking. What did you think of this book, Paul? Well, what I thought about the book was, Sarah, that yeah. Bernadine is a little bit too impressive. Yeah. my liking she is I mean just what a woman really she she wasn't necessarily what I expected I don't know if I did have any expectations but I have a very limited knowledge of Bernadine Evaristo I've read one of her books I don't even know if I've ever seen an interview with her I've seen pictures of her with her book a prize and I've seen the picture of her on the front cover of the book but other than that didn't know a lot about her and she's had a storied life and I think she's got a very unique outlook. One thing that really stood out to me was that she said, I've never, I've never been someone who struggled with their mental health. And I always think that that is the biggest baller move ever. The only other yeah. person I know who says it all the time is Catherine Ryan. She's like, I've got rock solid mental health. Like, <laughs> what people actually have rock solid mental health? I can't believe it. I don't get it. it. Can't it's, relate. <laughs> but I'm like, jealous and and yeah. I don't know I'm turned on a little bit by it like can you imagine having it rock solid mental health for god's sake big dick energy <laughs> yeah but not even in an attention seeking way it's just you can just tell it's a fact yeah um oh that's a point is that she is obviously now especially after winning the book a quite a prolific storyteller um but what I didn't I know even less about her before reading this because I've not read any of her books but she studied acting and she did like an acting course at Rose Bruford and she was an actor and she had a theatre company for the first sort of, well, she said she stopped acting when she was 26, but she started when she was young. So essentially for the first 20 years of her life, she was an actor, mm. which I always think is the biggest form of attention seeking. And now she's written a, an extreme amount of books that have done ve- like to varying levels of success, obviously girl, woman, other being the most successful and being as successful as it can be, but uh, which is also quite attention-seeking, but she's just not an attention-seeker. No. And when she was talking about, especially the acting and how, like, the type of person that you kind of have to be to be an actor, she was just like, yeah, you know, um, just wasn't really for me. She's just about being a creative. She just wants to tell stories. And I'm like, but what about the fame and the success? Like, she yeah. why you're secretly doing it. And she's like, oh, no, no, I'm quite happy spending my entire life broke, penniless she there's a whole chapter dedicated to her housing situation because she didn't own a house or like get a mortgage until she was in her 40s I think and she was like but that's a like it was never something that I saw as like the traditional marker of success I was just I knew that my priority has always been and will always be telling stories and so this is just part and parcel of that lifestyle and if you want to tell stories for the fame or for the um, money 
you're in the wrong business. And I was like, oh, shit. Yeah, people keep telling me that. I'm like, mind your fucking business. I will yeah. do exactly what I want. And that's get really, really famous for doing relatively little. All right. I want to write one 120 page book. Novella. I wanted a novella. I want it to be on the New York Times bestseller list for three and a half years. And I never want to lift a finger again in my life. No, the only finger I want to lift is... Actually, I don't even want to lift the finger. I want someone to lift all of their fingers to dress me up for the Met Gala. (laughs) Wheel me there. Like, I'll just, I won't even move. I'll just be there. That's like, you know, when Kim Kardashian was the Met girl that year and she wore that like latex dress and looked like she just walked out of the ocean. Yes. Because that dress was so, so tight. She had to stand in like a van with a pole in it on the way there because she couldn't sit down. And you had to like lift her out and just place her on the carpet. That'd be you. (laughs) That's exactly what I want. Exactly what I want. And me and Kim K are birthday twins. And you know how much I believe in the Zodiac. So yes, I do know. Back to Bernadine, a couple of things he said there. I think partly due to circumstance as a black woman from a working class family trying to work in the arts, you know, lots of lots of the issues that she was already experiencing just compounded by the fact that she was a woman and trying to be a writer, she really did not make it easy for herself to have a stable life. And I guess it's easier to think about that looking back from a position of success but I don't get the sense that she's looking at anything through rose tinted glasses but probably partially because of her rock solid mental health she does not seem inhibited in any way she's quite happy to take pretty extreme risks when it comes to money and jobs and that is something that I am genuinely envious of because I think yeah me too you know our society is geared towards a particular way of life and particular constructs like mortgages, for example. And I am, I'd be far too terrified to deviate from that too much. Um, And she really wasn't. I mean, I guess one thing that's different is, I mean, it's been 40 years. She's she's way older than I thought she was as well. She does not look. Yeah. Yeah. I guess times have changed in lots of ways, but I was like, oh, God, if I was writing my memoir, like, and then I stayed in this job for a really long time because it was (laughs) stable and I had a good pension. Like, boring. Bernadine was just, she was living here, then she was kicked out and she was living here and then got this job. And I was just like, oh, that's such a cool trajectory. Um, I was listening to this podcast, you know, Elizabeth Day's How to Fail. Mm-hmm. She, so I was listening to Bernadine's episode today mm. and immediately, and her voice is like incredible. She's got this really rich, like hearty voice that you just want to listen to her talk. Mm. Um, and she is saying that she doesn't agree or like really understand the concept of failure. She's just like, well, yeah, like if you try something, it doesn't work. Just keep trying. And then if what is happening is when it doesn't work you're getting more and more sad just don't do it anymore and do something else and I was like oh my god everything I don't do anything risky in the slightest because I'm so scared of failure <laughs> it's, it's not that she doesn't take life seriously because I hate it when people say that oh you shouldn't take life I hate seriously it. it's like well I think I probably will thank you take my life quite seriously or because... I just do what I want with my life thanks she sees things logically and yeah. in a kind of dispassionate way 
that's I don't know if that's the right word she takes like all of the bravado and the artifice Mm -hmm. away from life and just sees it for what it is which is her working to get where she wants to be and never giving up and And it is a manifesto isn't it it's a proper lesson in how you should achieve you can achieve the things that you want by just grinding away and like she won the book when she was 60 which is I mean you know how there was that there was like a weird meme that went around a few years ago and it was like Oprah was working as a I don't know waitress and when she was 23 and then this famous person was doing this when they're and then I remember reading them thinking but they're still really young like 23 is not old so for her to win the book at, at 60 and it had been a lifelong ambition pretty much to win the book and she's got to this point and she says in it as well that she manifested winning the book she would write down a daily affirmation like I have won the booker I have won the booker and then she did it and did it and did it and then eventually she won it but she was like but I wasn't just writing it down and expecting it to happen I worked my fucking ass off for mm-hmm. it and I got it so why don't you do the same yeah should we revisit manifesting now that Bernadine says it's I really good I was going to ask you about this I've changed my mind I'm going to manifest everything in my life but the difference is I'm still not going to grind <laughs> I'm going to do the Prague Stadium the Prague Stadium and then just see if we suddenly get booked by the Prague Stadium I think we will what I was going to say about the form of memoir is I really like reading memoirs. I don't read them that often. But when I do, I'm always like, oh, I actually do like this. This wasn't sort of traditional in the fact that each, it wasn't like um, um, my life up until this point. It was the different chapters focused on different areas of her life. So we sort of jumped about in time and she would go back to being a child and why certain things were significant and whatever. But it's funny because people seem most of the time with me and this is entirely like my projection it's not any kind of like fact but most of the time with memoir is that people have had these extraordinary experiences that they then revisit with like the beauty of time having elapsed between them and think that these like most of the time traumas or wins like successes or traumas have happened and enough time has been and now they can talk about them almost objectively but then it's like as you get into the into the flow of like each chapter of a memoir you can almost feel the author getting like irate about a situation again or like getting triggered by something or reliving their experience Mm. and it or there's almost like a tone to memoir like I remember reading um Educated by Tamara Westover which is I think the best memoir I've ever read and there were certain things that happened that she had this really detached like the way that she retold them was really detached, but then it, there were certain elements that obviously she hadn't resolved and she would slip back into this like moment of anger. And you, and then that helps you build a connection with the author. Whereas Bernadine does have these huge moments, not necessarily traumatic. There are some things that have happened to her in her life that are traumatizing. And also there have been some huge successes, especially regarding like the work that she did for theater and for black women in theater specifically. Yeah. But she doesn't ever seem to dip into this yeah, like self-aggrandizing or even just like overly emotive way of looking at it. She's just like, and then I did this thing and then this thing happened. And like in her 20, well, mid twenties to thirties, she was in a really abusive relationship. And she just retells this story like as though you're in a pub with her and she's telling you about this absolutely abhorrent person and she's funny with it as well. She's given her this nickname and there's none of, yeah, there's none of this like, oh, you know, that was a really tough period of my life. She just sees it as another sort of stepping stone as like, well, another part of her narrative. She just strikes me as an incredibly rational, level-headed person, yeah. which I'm always intimidated by. What you said about black women in theatre 
one thing I, that really struck me was how one person can actually change a huge amount. And because I yeah. often think, what can one person really do? What can I do if I try and help? It's just going to be a drop in the ocean or whatever. Mm-hmm. But because there was absolutely no representation of black women in mm-hmm. the arts, really, especially acting, when, you know, she was in her 20s, she set up, I'm going to get this wrong, but I, I can't be asked to find it in the book, but the first by black women for black women theatre group, like in the UK, is something, yeah, something as crazy as that. And was one of the only, if not the only black students at Rose Bruford in her year. And just by these little incremental, I mean, pretty impressive things, but like small incremental changes that she made had an astonishing impact on the industry, culminating in her becoming the first black woman to win the Booker Prize. And that's one person who's who's done that. Like, can you imagine yeah. if the structure of society just changed to allow for, I feel like yeah. we're desperately trying to think of ways to allow underrepresented groups to shine. And, and it's not all that complicated is it there just needs to be space for these people they need to have space to develop creatively and be listened to and probably be given some bloody funding yeah exactly and then be put on shelves and it's it just made me think obviously it's complicated but what she has achieved for black women for women for underrepresented groups is staggering and it means that it can happen yeah so basically Molly May was right. No, I'm joking. <laughs> You've all got 24 hours in a day. Get off your asses now and just go to work in pretty little things. That's Kim Kardashian came out and said the exact same thing a week later. She was like, no one wants to fucking work anymore. So, sorry, babe. Absolutely um, crazy. But yeah, you're right. She, But again, none of that was like, because there was a part of me that was just like, sorry, when I was reading this, I was like, what? I can't believe that. First of all, I don't necessarily know, in fact, for someone that works in a theatre and also has studied theatre, I don't know too much about theatre, but I certainly didn't know anything about her before Girl, Woman, Other, and then she like seemed to explode onto the scene, but Mm. she's just been grinding away for years and years and years and changing things at a systemic level, but really, and I was like, why the fuck don't we know about this person who's well, doing quite. incredible things for the industry? Just feels like she ought to be a household name. But then I just don't think she'd be that bothered about that. The first line of the book I loved and it really set the tone is when I won the Booker Prize in 2019 for my novel Girl, Woman, Other, I became an overnight success in inverted commas after 40 years working professionally in the arts. <laughs> and you know, I, those two things aren't mutually exclusive because, of course, you can become an overnight success at any time. But yeah. y- you think of these people as, oh, there they are, th- the first thing they've ever done. And yeah. she, 40 years grinding away in this industry and living this crazy life. Yeah. To then all of a sudden be accepted by those who hold the power or who can decide what good culture is or whatever it is. Uh, and it's just definitely saying that with in a wry sort of sense, isn't yeah. it? Um, yeah, exactly. Oh, is that ironic? I'd say that's ironic for somebody saying you're an overnight success, but... We've got it. We've got it. We've fucking got it. Oh, and something else is that she she wasn't particularly good at English, you know, as, as driven by schools. She didn't do particularly well in English. And when she was writing... A book she she was writing in such a 
unorthodox way. She says she doesn't really care about grammar or punctuation or anything. She just writes. And she's, she's a poet as well. So she sort of writes in this poetic way. And she finally something clicked with her when she started to write a book that was half in prose, but also in verse. And when you look at Girl, Woman, Other, which, is, you know, ended up making her a star, it is very like that. It's punctuation mm. isn't really there. It's it looks kind of like a poem. It reads a bit like a poem and her own style that she refused to back down on. She was rejected hundreds of times because of it. And you think we we get told how you're supposed to write and we try and stick to the rules and I'll take out adverbs because you're not supposed to have too many of them. Bernadine mm. wasn't asked. She's like, no, this is going to be my process and it will work for me in the end. And yeah. her writing process, God, give me nightmares. She says she'll write uh-huh. and write. And then she can just get rid of a full 40,000 pound pound. <laughs> word 40,000 word uh, draft of a manuscript just bin it completely and be like but I never feel bad about it because writing that 40,000 words was helpful and I'd be like are you kidding that? I would pedal that regardless even if it was the worst thing anyone had ever read I'd oh god I struggle to cross out an and in my writing just in case yeah. you know it's one of my she darlings really kills her darlings but yeah, yeah exactly. I do um, not I nurture my darlings me too. I love They're them. the special ones. <laughs> You're staying right where you are in the podcast, Elizabeth Day says to it. If you were to, how do you think if you'd known? Because obviously, that, like I said, she says that she knew she was always going to win a book. It was always going to be something that she did. So then Elizabeth Day says, had you known that Girl, Woman, Other was going to be the book that won you the booker before you began writing it how do you think that would have impacted the writing process like what would have been different and she just laughs rage and then she went well I would have written a, a white book about white men being white <laughs> and like <laughs> following all of the white rules and doing all of the writing the white way and like <laughs> and then they both pissed themselves rage and she was like I obviously just had no idea and like you get told like, like you've just said time and time again there are so many rules to writing and even though there shouldn't necessarily be an objectively good book, there is if you stick to these this strict set of rules and she just chucks all of that out of the window, writes what she wants to write and then wins the most prestigious award that you can win in the UK. Also, they speak, and she speaks about this in the book as well, because she won it. I think it's the first time that it's ever been awarded to two people at once, isn't it? Yeah, which people didn't take too kindly to. So I didn't. I was, I was, I'm not actually read... Girl, woman, other. Oh no, but I've read Testaments, and I didn't think it was book worthy. But anyway, it is a good book, and I think it was the whole pomp around it was because it's come out however many years after The Handmaid's Tale, and and obviously The Handmaid's Tale is now this TV sensation, and people absolutely love it, and mm. feels like it's very representative of our current um search. well yeah our current search. But I was like, oh, an American. Wait, is she American or Canadian? I think she's Canadian. Margaret Atwood, a white woman who has won the booker before. Did she win it for The Handmaid's Tale? Oh, yeah, she won. Oh, she's won it. Excuse me. How many times has she won it? Excuse me. Excuse me, lady. Very shop too, love her. Uh, Are you joking? Hang on, I'm thinking this might be noms, you know. She's not won it that many times. Fucking hell. I think she has. Right. I don't she's won in that many books. No, she won, she's only won twice. She must have been nominated that many times, but she won in 2000. So what? So it, she didn't actually, so she wouldn't have won it then for the Handmaid's Tale because that came out. Nah, was in the 80s. Way earlier, yeah, in the 80s. Well, anyway. She won it for was, The Blind Assassin. Never read that. Me neither. Sounds, sounds quite good. <laughs> <laughs> 
Mm, sounds all right. Maybe I'll give that a go. <laughs> a book a winner. Blind assassin. Oh, that sounds erotic. Do you know what? I give that seal of approval. <laughs> Sarah's seal of approval. <laughs> well done, Margaret. Pat on the back. Marge. Yeah, so anyway, there was a bit of um, uh, tensions around the fact that for the first time the Booker has been won by a black woman, it also was won by a white woman who's won it before for a book that is a sequel. Uh, technically a prequel. Anyway, she don't give a shit. Nah. Bernadine's like, yeah, it was dead good. We got up on the stage. We hugged. Um, two women from two different like two different races two different nationalities two very different books and just it was like a real historical moment and how sick is that I was like oh you're just such a good person I'd be fume dogs I'd be absolutely fuming I'd have tripped Margaret up I think uh one moment in the book yes I didn't quite know how to take was her discussion of her own sexuality yeah i didn't get it (laughs) well what i didn't get was that she basically said i've been straight all my life and then i became a lesbian for this one relationship and then after that relationship i became straight again i just didn't know if it was like clumsily explained or just well yeah just like nobody really asked like what 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 does that mean? You because it was she was saying like she was fully attracted to men and then fully attracted to women and then fully attracted to men again, and I mean maybe that's fine. I don't know. Well, it is fine, but then she says that it's not fully; it's exclusively. So it's like, well, you can't be exclusively attracted to men because you've previously been attracted to women. So it's not exclusive. It's it's quite the opposite. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I don't know. If, I did read it twice because I was just confused. It just felt like, I don't know what you, what point you're trying to make here, but I don't know, maybe I'm being snowflake. Well, I agree. So we're two unique snowflakes. Oh, two snowflakes. I like being a snowflake. And uh, what's the other one you get called? Um, aw- awoke, not awoke, just woke. Awoke! <laughs> <laughs> Fucking hell, you are a boomer. <laughs> I'm a woke boomer. <laughs> a woke woke boomer. A woke woke snowflake boomer. Snow boomer. <laughs> snow boomer. I'm a woke snow boomer. <laughs> <laughs> um, what? Wait, what was I going to say about that? Did he, did he? Yeah, I didn't get it. But the thing is, as well, is that because there are elements of this book that she doesn't. She acknowledges how society and societal structures have impacted her and, and her beliefs. So she like recognised early on that she had internalised a lot of the racist messaging that is prevalent, especially in the UK, but just in Western society in general. So her yeah. dad was really dark-skinned. Um, she's mixed race. And she was saying that, you know, she was pretty ashamed of the fact of how, like, of how dark his skin was and she talks about that and she talks about how she internalized ideals of how women should look as well and then she kind of has a rejection phase of that and she goes so far the other way and then she kind of finds like a rebalance of the person that she well who she is and how she wants to represent herself and she does discuss it but it was in this sort of like there was no again like I said there was no self-aggrandizement there was also no self-admonishment like she's never like I'm really fucking sorry for behaving like that and I'm not saying that I wanted her to apologize for it but I was like is this just reflective of having grown up in that 
time where it is just a widely she's just like yeah I was pretty racist and pretty sexist um not gonna say sorry about it because I just was I'm not anymore there's one point that I remember that she like actively calls herself out for and it's when she had was part of this theater group by black women for black, black women group that she had created coming out of uni there was a black director that was brought in when she was at uni to help direct her end of year performance like this group's end of year performance and then they went to go and see one of her shows later on her Bernadine and one of her friends from uni went to go and see one of their shows later on and there was um, a really tropey quite problematic representation of a gay person in this and she heckled they heckled from the audience and then afterwards she said well she says in the text like she's like that was poor form we should have spoke you know if we'd had issue with it we should have gone and spoken to the director afterwards we shouldn't have done that we should have been about supporting her regardless another black woman in the theatre industry trying to make theatre more accessible mm-hmm. and that was the only time that she's ever like yeah probably not too buzzing about that behaviour but she does that because she's a feminist and she's fighting for equality in every, you know, in every forum that she sees it. So then it's because then she talks about how she stops being a feminist. Oh, no, stops being a feminist. God. <laughs> Slander. Yeah, this, is going, this is going awfully. Um, but she, it's like how she dials that back again because she's, and I mean, I think everyone that's probably been to university has had this phase where you're quite self-righteous in your politics because they've just been taught to you and you're being taught that like I remember when I was doing my undergrad and I was being taught all of these like what felt like quite radical ideas at the time and I was like oh my god everyone I have grown up with um my parents and my family are all thick and no one understands and <laughs> and I'd like go home at Christmas and be like, oh, she fucking is the leftist yeah. and I'd be like sat at the Christmas table like with the dinner table around Christmas Christmas time calling people racist and not wearing like, a bra <laughs> yeah not shaving any of my body hair and she like calls herself out for that but not for any of the other things like earlier on and I guess I, and I mean why should she she shouldn't have to she shouldn't have to apologize for beliefs that she held because of systemic racism and I'm not suggesting that that's what I wanted but there were just some moments where I had to reread it a little bit because it was so frank in the way that she would just be like, yeah, I hated the colour of my dad's skin. I like that about our Bernadine. Not that she hated the colour of her dad's skin, <laughs> but... The unapologetic. Unapologetic. Is... And she's yeah. also probably just like, babe, you're reading my book. You yeah, paid, yeah, exactly. You paid money to read my book, so yeah. I'm not fucking apologising to you. Yeah, I love And Yeah, that. I'm not saying, I don't want her to be apologetic. but there was I know just, exactly what you mean. Yeah, like I said, it was just a few times where I had to reread it, because I'd be like, is she saying what I think she's saying? Just so yeah. frankly, and like mm-hmm. how, you know, she says that when she started, when she first started sleeping with women and dating women, some of her friends would be like, oh, this is going to be a phase. And she'd be like, you know, I'd, I hate to prove them right or whatever but it was face and it's just like (laughs) that's what I mean that was the bit that jarred me a bit so I was like I just don't know if that's feeding into some kind of harmful rhetoric that we've only just started to undo but I don't know who cares maybe she doesn't care maybe she I don't think she gives a shit about anything no legend class I've written page 156 in my notes because I really like this bit about the catholic church Uh um because she's talking about and it, it really brought back memories for me growing up Catholic because it was all about the ceremony and the theatre of church. Oh, my God, yeah. 
I might cut some of this out because it's a bit long, but I'll read the whole thing. I was envious of the altar boys who were charged with draping the quist. I was um, okay. No, I was envious <laughs> of the altar boys who were charged with draping the crisp white linen cloth over the rails in front of the altar, ready for the congregation to kneel and receive the consecration. It functioned as a vertical tablecloth, and for years I dreamt about being up there myself. Same, babe. I was so jealous of the altar boys. Me too. So jealous. Turns out we were wrong to be jealous of them, poor sods, but. Solemnly, expertly smoothing out the creases so that it looked perfect. I so admired their status in the ceremony. This is where I was like, yeah, I'm kindred spirits. When the time came for Holy Communion, I joined the queue walking down the aisle towards the rail, where I'd kneel on the bench and wait my turn for the priest, always accompanied by an altar boy, to walk along and place the delicate and delicious melt-in-the-mouth white wafer on my tongue, followed by a sip of wine symbolizing the body and blood of Christ. Sadly, I couldn't become an altar boy because I was a girl. We girls knew our place in the hierarchy of the Catholic Church. Our roles when we grew up would be to clean the church, become cooks and housekeepers for the priests, keep the candles well stocked and make the tea and cakes when we were when there were social occasions. So you think now she's going to go into the Catholic Church is a terrible place that's misogynistic and all of this stuff. But it goes somewhere totally different. When I mm-hmm. think of the Mass, I remember it as a theatrical performance, the rhapsodic poetry of the Psalms we all chanted in unison, the hymns we sang, the stirring music of the organ, the aromatic incense we hailed as it wafted from a censer by the priest as he processed down the aisle wearing his stunning vestments. How heady it was, how very theatrical amid the rococo, I've never read that word out loud before, surroundings of gilt and gold, stone and wood, the biblical scenes carved out in reliefs and statues, the towering columns and arches, the light shining through the ornate stained glass windows, all that religious iconography, all that symbolism and ritual searing itself into my cellular memory day after day at primary school and week after week for the 10 years I went to church every Sunday without fail. Was it therefore so surprising that when I began writing theatre a few years after I left the church, it should come out through the heightened language of poetry. Literary influences are important, but we are carrying so much more within us that alchemizes into our creativity. And I was like, for me, I've always resented the fact that I was ever anything to do with the church mm-hmm. because it was so traumatic and it made growing up a little bit harder for a gay person and or a lot harder and all of that stuff. And I've, I've always feel, felt quite bitter about it, you know, become the person that I am despite being told for a long time that whereas she's like here's the Catholic Church totally misogynistic all I wanted was the attention of being a boy but I can't because I'm a girl but the spectacle of it was so incredible and it was like it was church is I don't know something hypnotic about it and look it's created a Booker Prize winning author and like the church has done that I mean she's not like giving it loads of thanks or anything she's just really rationally pointing out that actually the Catholic Church had a lot to do with her writing. Yeah. I was like, oh, maybe I should be a bit more like that. Yeah, a bit less like... Bitter. But you just... I was going to say emotional, and that feels unfair. It feels like I'm calling her emotionless, but it, it's just this way of perceiving things that is different than I mm. feel like the majority. And it, I think it is really similar to the way that I think of how Michaela Cole sees things. Just this response to things that I think because there's usually like... um an accepted there's like with the catholic church there are two kind of ways of looking at it that are accepted and therefore easy to just fall into either you are a believer and you go to church and you're part of that like ritual or you're not and you think it's quite ridiculous and or damaging whereas she's just neither she's just like neither yeah kind of both 
but yeah she's like this is the thing and I feel like Michaela Cole has the same attitude towards things like where there are these sort of set responses Mm -hmm. and then she'll just be like oh but I don't see it that way so could it be is it too simplistic to call it independent thought that's exactly what I'm trying to get at and I've not got enough independent thought to make that leap but yeah that is it it is complete independent thought yeah it's they're not being influenced by how we should react and I'm not saying that people react that way only because they think they should but I think it's just a social psychological yeah. you know to follow the herd and and I'm an absolute copier I absolutely love to hear somebody's opinion that I and you say it all the time as a joke but like hear an opinion that you can basically steal and yeah. sound clever doing it and I think people do it often and it doesn't mean you don't agree with them but you you, you haven't got their first like someone else has got their exactly. first it's not an independent thought no and then and then but then it just becomes your response to things yeah it becomes you and you genuinely believe like that that is your belief naturalized or something yeah yeah I completely get that and I don't know if I'll ever be like that and I'm kind of fine with it I'll never ever be like that and I'm also fine with it <clears throat> but Bernadine yeah. is an independent thinker yeah, great book. Another great one. I haven't read many memoirs either, but enjoyed it. Wasn't what I expected. Very keen to read some of our other stuff now. Yeah. And might even revisit Girl Woman there because it honestly is sensational. Do you know what I like about a memoir? Hmm. Is that someone's just gone, yeah, you know what? My life's fucking class. Yeah, you should pay eight ninety nine gonna... to read about it. Yeah, I'm just going to write down things that have happened in my life. Just, just write them down. Hmm. And then you're going to buy that <sighs> big dick energy. Oh, do you think I can do that before I've written any books? Well, isn't it? Oh, this One of my friends from uni, I was going to say, I thought that this was universal fact, but it's not. One of my friends from uni has done and does a bit of ghostwriting and was ghostwriting someone's memoir who's just not done anything. <laughs> not like a celebrity in any way. Just, just writing a memoir. Is it a man by chance? <laughs> oh, yes, a white man, yeah. <laughs> Oh, that's like people must hear this. Yeah, <laughs> supply and nil demand. Thank you, Bernadine Evaristo. <laughs> Thank you. It was wonderful. We need to tell everyone that it happened. Oh my God, we haven't told everyone that it happened. We've not told anyone that it happened. Oh. We told Instagram. Yeah, and I think anyone that listens follows us on Instagram. So, but guys, it fucking happened. The reunion through the Scottish Meadows. It happened. It was beautiful. A stunning weekend in Edinburgh, organised by Sarah Jane Hopkins. <sighs> oh, feels like a dream now, but yeah, it does. six it really of does. us in total. We went to some gorgy restaurants. Mm-hmm. We went to karaoke bar. Went to <laughs> I went to the same gay club both nights yeah. and did not recognise it from on the Saturday night. If Anthony hadn't told me that it was the same bar, I wouldn't have known. So I basically felt like I went to two different gay clubs. Yeah, perfect. Oh, uh, it was fabulous. It was really great. <laughs> Just thinking about Anthony the next day saying, you know, those women playing, there was basically in the club that we were in on the Saturday night, there was oh, women shit. on the decks and then another woman on like, was it a steel drum next to her? Yeah. And just like playing like really alternative like good music but just it was just the sight of these two women <laughs> and like playing this music and they were like quite a bit older the crowd in there was quite a bit older fit. Mm-hmm. anyway the next day Anthony was like what were they called oh, the little duo I can't remember god I have no idea he was like I've decided I want them to play at my wedding 
<laughs> like we want someone playing the steel drums at your wedding. They were hilarious. I didn't allow anyone a go at karaoke. I found out the next day. <laughs> well, you sometimes did because there were two microphones, but you just had to be—you just had to have one of them at all times. <laughs> I swear you didn't sit down. Skipping songs that I hadn't requested. <laughs> yeah, so there was a karaoke room, and obviously you program the songs in, and then they'd come on, and like Izzy would be singing for about. <laughs> I don't know, 15 seconds, and suddenly the song was gone. You just look at it, Sarah, just pressing skip until she gets to the one she wants. I just grab the microphone. Oh, it was fabulous. Luckily, I don't remember doing any of that. So, it may, like, as far as I know, it's, it's yeah, law. It it's not. Didn't, yeah, happen. It didn't happen. You know what? One of the biggest issues was, though. What? Was that I'm not, I'm a, I'm a drinker in terms of quantity, mm-hmm. but I'm not a late nighter. I do not like a late night and I was having too much fun no I was fine because so we'll get there right and Sarah says so this is the plan we've got this 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 and then I've booked karaoke at what time was it quarter past 11 quarter past 11 which is already pushing it for me and then you had you booked something else at half one or we're going to be in the club we're just going to go to the club yeah and I was like oh holy shit like I had a take Michael to the side and be like well how am I going to do this what am I going to do and he's like do your water trick which was my water trick for anyone who wants to know um and don't worry I don't have the copyright on it it's a uh, drink some water <laughs> <laughs> I realized on a night out once when I was getting too drunk that I had some water and I was like oh I feel better you get like three or four waves out of you yeah and then since then I've called it my special water trick <laughs> it's really funny because Michael every now and then like we'll be in a bar and Michael will just look at I'll be like going to the bar and he'll be like just get a pint of water and I'll look at you and you're like eyes are rolling back and I'm like oh it's time for the water trick and you Paul's do you magical water trick. pint of water you just neck it silently because by that point you're usually non-verbal and <laughs> And then that's it. The life just comes back into your eyes. Honestly, you try the water trick if you haven't already. It's really good. And it's free. Water's free. Uh, anyway, so that was night one. I was having so much fun. Looked at my phone. I think it was half three. And you know, when you look and you're like, oh my God, what has happened? Yeah. Fabulous. And then night two, everyone was flagging, but I was determined to keep going. And again, me and Anthony were out till half three. Yeah. So having said that, the next day was absolutely <laughs> tragic. <laughs> so throughout the entire course of our friendship, Paul gets annoyed with me when I'm hungover because you've not really experienced hangover so that you just don't get it. When I'm hungover, you like, I just don't get it. I don't get why you cancel plans. I don't get why you're miserable. I don't get why you're throwing up. I don't get it. <laughs> And then the last like couple of times we've had a big weekend, like I'm thinking of Anthony's birthday in Kent in January. <laughs> so getting these hangovers. Where he, he like tapped you on the arm and go, I'm gonna be sick. I'm gonna be sick. You can see your cheeks filling up. You just look like a scared little boy. <laughs> it's this moment when on Sunday we were getting a taxi somewhere for breakfast and everyone was in a bad a bad it was a bad day it was a bad day and we had ordered we were having to order two taxis everywhere because obviously we can't all fit in one and I remember the last minute I was like you're getting this taxi and I looked at you you just had your hand clamped over your mouth 
<laughs> and these big like circle eyes like eyes like saucers like I'm gonna be sick and I got in the car and as we drove past you started doing that what's it like the cross knees dance <laughs> yeah <laughs> with the straightest face it was like also still seconds away from that was my favorite visual from the whole weekend I forgot to ask you about that because I didn't see it earlier but I was like did I do that dance that like dads do where they cross their knees and their hands together <laughs> so, it was so yeah. funny but your face was just like <laughs> oh it's catching up on his mind but I'm blaming the late nights but I think it's probably how much I drink but yeah, it's time. I got into sometimes I like to get into bed with Paul and Michael after a big night out. And this time I got into bed on the Sunday morning and it was, I was not welcome. I was not welcome. It was very much like, um, I was remember like, that? Well, yeah. You had, a, you had a vase of water by the bed. Oh, God, yeah, I'd found a vase. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh, I like your vase, babe. And you just silently looking at me. I got in bed and I was like, are you like getting up soon? and just silence Michael was Michael's doing that thing where he's wide awake but his eyes are closed like, <laughs> yeah. like you know Michael yeah you can almost hear Michael's thoughts and it's like get the fuck out so I laid there just like for three minutes and I was like I'm not welcome here like, um, oh I hope I go back to my old ways because one of my favorite points of life is when you wake up slightly still drunk and it's really um everything's hilarious yeah everything's just dead fun on um, the Sunday, I don't know if she'll want us to say this, but it was a fucking highlight for me when Izzy reeled off everything that she'd eaten. When was that? On the Sunday. What did she say? She was like, I've had potato for every meal. <laughs> and also like multiple snacks in between that were potato based. She absolutely loves a pot. Absolutely loves a pot. <laughs> it was wild. She, we'd gone out for dinner on the first night and she'd had butternut squash like a butternut squash thing with a side of chips and then oh and we'd had some crisps before we'd gone out and then (laughs) after the night after the club we'd gone to a chippy and she'd got some chips and then the next morning we had three types of potato for breakfast we had two different types of hash brown and tatty scone and then we (laughs) we had lunch which was chips and then we (laughs) then we went for tea and she got a mac and cheese with a side of chips and then we went to the club and after the club she came out and she went you know that chip shop we're in last night and I was like yeah she's like well they did chips cheese and curry sauce and I'm not hungry but I just need to try that so she had chips (laughs) and then the next morning we went for breakfast and she got a fry up and Michael ordered some hash brown like bites oh they were lush (laughs) (laughs) oh there's no better than a pot though honestly isn't and they're just so versatile I had the most stunning chips from McDonald's last night Oh, on that first night, did I tell you what I did? So went to the chippy and got chips, battered sausage and curry sauce. And I just thought, oh, great, there's two. And I ate both of them on the walk home and one of them was Michael's. But also, we both keep telling everyone that we're vegetarian. (laughs) Um, What's your plans for the bank halls? Do they have the same bank halls in Scotland? Well, apparently, but I don't get them off. With work, we just get more holiday days. I get quite oh. a lot of holidays and then I can just take them, but I've not taken them because I, like, people that memorise bank holidays, I feel like you're going to be one of those people. Well, actually not really, but one because I've worked in jobs that have bank holidays for the last six years, I just know when they, uh, vaguely when they are. 
Okay, yeah, but I know like there's some in May and maybe one or two in August. I don't know the dates. I'm not asked about the dates. But anyway, I'm just, yeah, I've not booked them off. And now all of my friends that work in offices that just get them off are doing really fun things and I'm mm. working. So shite. So you don't have any plans to bank all then? No. Probably working. Yeah. I'm going to Richmond on Friday for an all day sesh. Is it this Friday coming? Yeah. I fucking want that off so much. And this Friday and Monday? Well, it's Easter. It's bloody well Easter. And then I'm going to think about the baby Jesus on Saturday and then going out on an all-day sesh Sunday and then think about the baby Jesus on Monday. That's the plan. Perfect. What are the sesh- What are the Szechuanis? Going to Richmond with Lauren Ford. Nice. Going for a boozy brunch with Kirsty Helen and the person who recommended Rainbow Milk. Oh, nice. Yeah, the one that I met at a party and fell in love with. Yeah, and no, I'm still not quite too happy about that. Yeah. Um, so I'm going with them and Michael. So it's a triple date, you know what I mean? Oh, gross couples are so nice. That were all gay couples, though. So yeah, okay. it's better. Like, there's no straights going to be there. I came and crashed it. Um, I'd love it. <laughs> no straights allowed. I am doing something. I'm going to some gig on Friday night. But it's not my kind of music. I'm just going because my mate's going, so I'm probably going to have quite a bad time. Maybe I'll try and snog some people. Snog everyone is what I was going to say. Exactly, yeah. Like our New Year's resolution, snog, snog, snog. Yeah. I might go and snog Michael now. You know what? If I went up to Michael now and snogged him, he would have no fucking clue what's going on. (laughs) Yeah, what are you doing? Couples just, well, in my experience, like, snogging is just not a thing. Like, It's not. When would I snog him? Yeah, weird. Imagine just like having a make out sesh. Like, hi, babe. Oh, oh God, Sarah. Stop that right now. <laughs> um, okay, shall we talk about next week's book? Yeah, go in. Next week's book is Luster by Raven Leilani. <laughs> and I thought we talked about this already because we talked about a raven. <laughs> But I think that must have been something else because I don't actually think we have talked about this. No, we have spoken about it because it's the book that I was reading when I was cheating on you. Ah, right. Okay. So it was, it was, it was. Anyway, Luster. Let us tell you what it's about. Luster, 2020 debut novel by Raven Leilani. It follows a black woman in her 20s who gets involved with a 40-something white man in an open marriage. I'll leave it there because obviously we'll do the full thingy next week. And Luster, so... What I searched was, I think it's called luster, like not lover, like a luster. Yeah. Is that why you think it's called that? Yeah. So I found this cocktail called, oh, here we go, Love and Lust. So this cocktail is called Love and Lust. Oh, fit. It is Patron Silver, but it's just going to be tequila for me because yeah. Patron's really expensive. Watermelon juice. Whoa. Lime. Yeah. Basil. Ooh. Fresh black pepper drops optional. Whoa. Simple what? syrup. So like tequila, watermelon, lime, basil, pepper, syrup. And I can't really have to- watermelon. Oh, why? Because you're allergic. Mm, but I'll find something. Maybe I'll do like pomegranate. Yeah. It needs to be red, I think, because lust is That's red. Yeah. That pomegranate juice. Delinch. Oh, yeah. Pom. It's so expensive, that, isn't it? I've only ever seen it and just thought I bet Kylie Jenner would drink that. Yeah, mm-hmm. so right. I've never bought it, but you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to have that as well. Ah. So we'll have Palm. 
tequila, palm, lime, basil, pepper, sugar, sugar syrup. Brilliant. Well, we're back with a bang and with Vim and no Lurgy. No Lurgy. A new fan from Chicago. It's been a good week. It's been a fucking fantastic week. We've broke America. We've broke America. We've had an absolute Edinburgh orgy. Mm-hmm. Life is good. Bank holiday is coming up. Woo, woo, woo. In fact, you, this will be coming out on Bank Holiday Friday, Easter Friday. Hope you're immortal when you listen to it. Yeah, and just remember, Jesus died for your sins, so make them count. Oh, yeah. Defo. Sorry, if the fittest thing I've ever said. That just came out of my mouth. Pull. Oh my God, Sarah, that's class. <laughs> oh. I'm going to set a reminder, put that on Instagram <laughs> on Friday and pretend it was me. And uh, if anyone's around the Richmond area on Friday. Yeah, 20 quid for a selfie with Paul going right. Yeah, and I do cameos. I do cameos for £180 a minute. I hope we get at the stage where we do cameos because all you have to do is sit on your fat ass and record a video and send it to a fan. Yeah, sorry, do you not remember the cameo that we got you of Luan? Just yeah. mess everything up. Well, yeah, that one was free, wasn't have, it, in the end? <laughs> you don't even have to get it right. I'm going to write, I'm going to manifest that. I want to be on Cameo. I want to be on Cameo. No, but you have to just say it as a fact. I am on Cameo. I oh, am I on am on Cameo. I am on Cameo. Okay, then. Right. Everyone have nice weekends with the baby Jesus. And we will see you next week for Luster. Luster. <laughs> Luster. Goodbye. Love you. Love you. Thank you.